This is Sam Anderson, lead pastor at Central Church. Thank you for listening to the Central Church Podcast. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. And to keep up with everything happening in our faith community, visit centralchurch.cc. So we've been going through this series in the book of Colossians that Sam kicked us off last week, um, and we're just going through it, you know, verse by verse and talking about what, uh, what Paul has to tell us in this book, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, my, my, uh, my day job is, is, uh, is really crazy right now, and I was thinking, man, I don't know if I've got time to preach the rest of this year, I'm not sure. And then Sam said, hey, you want to preach Colossians chapter 2? And I'm like, yep, I'll do that. Yep, so this is, this is, I love this, I love Colossians, and I love, uh, particularly I love chapter two of Colossians, so I'm, I'm really excited to talk about this this morning. Last week, ta- Sam, Sam kind of kicked us off talking about this, th- this idea of deconstruction, and, and this idea that sometimes we, we go back and we reevaluate our faith, and we reevaluate the things that we've been taught about our faith, and we, and we, and we kind of, uh, you know, um, take things apart a little bit, and then put them back together in a stronger and more stable format. And, and if you were sitting anywhere near me uh, last week, you probably saw my head nodding like a bobblehead. Um, because I've been through this, I, I've been through that, that process numerous times in my life at this point. And, and, and also I've, I've walked through it with other people who have gone through it numerous times. And it's a really important process because, you know, sometimes when we're, when we're growing up, especially if we've grown up in the church, we've got baggage. We've got things that we were taught that, you know, at the time perhaps were very important to us, but then as we move further and as we grow and as we mature as adults, we need to have a deeper and a more full understanding of some of those ideas. And so it's important for us to, to revisit these things and not simply, uh, you know, sit back with our with our kind of Sunday school understanding of things, but to, but to truly go on and dig deeper and have a more adult, adult understanding. You know, Sam talked last week about growing up in the church, and I grew up in the church too. And I grew up in a, in a very conservative environment, a very um, somewhat legalistic environment. And then, of course, in those kind of churches, it's all about making sure you don't do what everybody else does, right? How many of you grew up in, I mean, I know last week Sam asked, and a lot of you grew up in, in church, and you know what I'm talking about. You know, I know... When I grew up, you, um, one of the things is you don't play cards. Right? This, 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 now I'm showing my age here, but literally you don't play cards because that's gambling. And e- even if you weren't gambling, you're still using the same cards that they used to gamble. And you don't want to have anything to do with gambling at all. So don't even play euchre. Don't play cards, but you can play uno. You can play, because that's a different kind of card. Uno's okay, but anything with the actual cards on it is right out, you know. Or, or um, I know back then the, the thing with um, having cuffs on your pants, which is all the rage these days, I know, having cuffs on your pants. There we go. We got all, the whole front row has got cuffs on their pants. That was, that was like, ooh, that was, that was scandalous. You don't put, only secular people put cuffs on their pants. That's too showy, you know. Um, or hair length or hair, you know, for guys, it was your hair had to be nice and short. And for ladies, it had to be as high as possible. You, some of you know what I'm talking about. That, that do goes up. It doesn't go down. It goes up. Um, but really, all this was about is about defining what it meant to be a Christian, what it looks like to be a Christian. What is a Christian? What is it? 
And they were all these rules trying to define what it was. And, and still to this day, sometimes we get caught up in these discussions of what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it look like? Is it about the rules we follow? Is it about believing the right doctrines? Is it about voting the right way? Watching the right news channels? Listening to the right music and not watching the wrong movies? Is that what it means to be a Christian? Paul's concerned about this too, and we're gonna dig into that in Colossians chapter two, so let's pray and get into it. God, we thank you for this opportunity that we have today to dig into your word and to have a little bit deeper understanding of what it means and what it says to us and how we can apply it to our lives today. God, I pray that you'll guide and direct my words, you'll guide and direct our thoughts this morning. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. So chapter two, picking up kind of where Sam left off. And by the way, if you, if you weren't here last week, make sure you check the podcast. Make sure you check the podcast and get caught up on, on the, what we talked about in chapter one. Um, make sure so, so it all, because it all connects together. But we're gonna start in chapter two right off at the top in verse one. And if you've got your physical Bible, I know uh, James brought a whole stack of them this morning. Where are you, James? There you are. You got, he's got a whole stack of them back there. If you're, so if you're missing one, I'm sure he's got a spare. Um, or if you've got your phone, but Colossians chapter two, verse one, Paul writes, I want you to know how much I have agonized for you and for the church in Laodicea and for many other believers who have not, never met me personally. I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul's writing not just to this church in Colossae. Colossae was a, a city in Turkey, what's now Turkey. Um, and there was actually three cities right in the same area. There's this like tri-city area. There were three cities within about a 10 or 12 mile radius. One of them is Colossae. One of them is a city by the name of Laodicea which Paul mentions here. And then there was a third one called Hierapolis. And those three cities were right there. And, and of course, this letter that Paul is writing, um, of course, they don't have the post office, they don't have email like this, so these letters were precious. So Paul would write this letter and he'd send it with a courier and that letter would be handled like gold. And it would be held and it would be read in one church and then they would carry it over to an, the next church and the church, that church would get to read it. And so that's how we got these letters is these letters were passed down from church to church to church so that everyone had a copy, so that everyone knew what Paul was writing and what he was teaching. And Paul here is trying to explain to them, he wants them to have confidence. He wants to have an understanding of God's mysterious plan and he wants them to be united United by the love of Christ, united in love. Forces in their day were, were attempting to tear them apart and, and create divisions within the church. And the same thing is true today. Nothing has really changed in that sense. There's always forces at work trying to tear us apart, trying to draw divisions and dividing lines and, and get us to take sides so that we're not united in love. So these words from Paul, um, while we may need to apply them a little differently, they're still applicable today because we're, we're constantly being tempted 
to get into these debates and these, these divisions of, well, true Christians act like this. No, true Christians act like this. No, true. That's not what Paul wants. That's not what Jesus wants. He wants us to be united in love within our differences and within our unique qualities. So he goes on. And he says in verse, starting in verse six now, he says, and now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth that you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. Now here's where Paul gets into those divisions. Here's where Paul really starts to address the issue. And again, this is one of those things where my understanding of these verses has changed drastically since I was young. Radically changed. Because you know, when I was young, Preachers would love to take these, this particular verse here, this verse eight, and use it uh, as a weapon against higher education because it was all about philosophies and, and, and the nonsense that come from human thinking. And I would hear preachers rail against secular humanism and against atheism and against uh, higher education. And, you know, I, I don't know, Sam dealt with this, but, but you know, they used to say that if you went to cemetery or, or seminary, you're actually going to cemetery, right, Sam? You're going to cemetery because that's where your faith goes to die. You don't go to one of them cemeteries. That's a, that's a cemetery. Or if, you, or, or, or if you just went to a secular university, that's where, you're, that's where you, you, know, you can't go to one of them secular, I'm going, why am I slipping into a southern accent? I don't understand. <laughs> I've been in Tennessee all week. I'm sorry. I'm, just, I'm stuck in it. Um, I might slip into King James here in a second because I heard it all week. Um, but, but it was. It was, it was a matter of if you went away to a, to a secular college, don't, you got to go to a Christian college because if you go to one of those secular universities, you're going to lose your faith. Don't think too much. Just believe. And so they, the, the, the pastors of, in my youth would use this you know, to, to rail against secular knowledge and against you know, things that weren't of faith, quote unquote. You know, the ironic thing is my first deconstruction happened at a very fundamentalist Christian college. <laughs> um, but that's another story for another day. But the reality is here that when we dig into this scripture a little bit further, we realize Paul is not talking about that. He's talking about something else. There's a subtle little thing that Paul is doing in verse eight. He's really making a dad joke. Honestly, 2,000-year-old dad joke. He's making a pun. You see, Paul wrote the letter of Colossians, and he wrote all of his letters in a language called Koine Greek. Now, Koine Greek is a dead language. Nobody speaks it anymore. Um, uh, but, but we know enough about it to, to know that that word, when he says, don't let anyone capture you, that word capture you, that word capture you in Koine Greek is a word syllagogon or syllagogon. Sounds a lot like a word we know, synagogue. 
So Paul is making a, a little bit of an in-joke here. He's making a dad joke. He's like, don't let them capture you. Don't let the synagogue capture you. Don't let the synagogue, don't let the synagogue synagogue you, is basically kind of what he's saying. When he's talking about high-sounding nonsense and philosophies from human thinking, he's talking about religious people. He's talking about religious rules. He's talking about the things that religious leaders are trying to, uh, trying to convince them that they need to do, like circumcision and other things. Sam talked about it a little bit last week. It's, sort of, it's almost as if uh, Paul, if he was writing today, might say something like, hey, don't go cruising with Tom. Wait a second, you'll get it in a second. Hang in there. How many of you have watching the Leah Remini show? Anybody watch that besides me and Lori? I don't know. It's Anyway, so Tom Cruise, i got to explain my joke. Tom Cruise is one of the big leaders of Scientology. Scientology is a cult. Don't go cruising with Tom. Bad. Okay. <laughs> I give up. I give up. But this philosophies, these philosophies and this, this nonsense that Paul is talking about in his day is coming from religious leaders. It's coming from people within the faith. It's coming from believers in God. They're the ones that are coming up with these philosophies and this nonsense. And they're, being, they're trying to be divided by the rules that they're supposed to obey. We'll move on a little bit to verse 13, and this will become a little more clear. Paul writes in verse 13, You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ. For he forgave all your sins. He canceled the record of the charges against you. He took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. Paul is writing here to warn these believers against manipulative religious leaders, not secular ideas, not humanism, not atheism, not Greek philosophy. He's arguing to warn them against manipulative religious leaders who are trying to control them with fear and with doubt. He's writing to them because these religious leaders are saying, listen, you can't be a follower of Jesus if you don't do this. You can't be a follower of Jesus if you don't do that. You can't be a follower of Jesus if you do this or that. They've got a whole long list of rules of how they're supposed to act and how they're supposed to believe and what holidays they're supposed to celebrate and what holidays they're not supposed to celebrate. I mean, if you grew up in the church, you probably got involved in the whole debate as to whether or not you celebrate Halloween, right? Or, oh, sorry, Harvest Festival. Good grief. We get upset and we get all in arms about the, the dumbest stuff. Oh, true Christians don't celebrate Halloween. We celebrate the Harvest Festival. Stop. Stop. That's exactly what Paul is talking about right here in the Bible. He said, don't let anyone condemn you for not celebrating certain holy days or whatever you do. 
Don't get messed up in all of that stuff. That's not what's important. What's important is that God made you alive in Christ. And Christ is the reality. Christ is the focus. Christ is the center of who you should be and who you are. He's warning us against manipulative religious leaders who use fear to manipulate. And folks, we still have that today. We still have people today who try to manipulate people with fear and with doubt and with rules. Using fear to motivate is way off base. In 1 John it says, there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out all fear. Anybody who's using fear to manipulate, anybody who's using fear to control, anybody who's using fear to try to motivate people is not coming from a Christ-centered viewpoint. That's one warning sign you can find. If somebody is trying to use fear to influence you, stop right there. That is not a person you need to listen to. Doesn't matter how high sounding they are. Doesn't matter how many Bible verses they can throw at you. If they're using fear to try to manipulate you, if you're using fear to try to influence you, walk the other way. That's not how it works. That's not how Christ motivates us. That's not how Christ wants to influence us. Jesus himself was constantly confronted with the rule makers and the fear mongers. Throughout the gospels, if you read through the gospels, Jesus was constantly confronted with people who said, Jesus, why do you do this this way? Why do your disciples do this? You're picking the heads off a of grain and it's Sunday, why, or it's Saturday for them. Well, it's Sunday, why would you, Saturday, why would you do that? It's the Sabbath. Jesus, you can't heal somebody. And they all had all these rules and they were constantly getting up in Jesus' face about the rules and the rules he wasn't following. You're not doing it right, Jesus. Jesus basically didn't care about the rules that religious leaders wanted to put on him because he knew it was right. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus said this. We find, it says, yes, Jesus said, what sorrow awaits you experts in religious law for you crush people with unbearable religious demands and you never lift a finger to ease the burden. One time, uh, one of these experts in the, Jesus, in the law came up to Jesus and said, Jesus, what's the most important rule? I got all these rules. Oh, we've got hundreds and hundreds of rules. Which one's the most important, Jesus? And Jesus said, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength, and love everybody else the same as you love yourself. He said, if you do those two things, all the other rules are irrelevant. All the other rules will take care of themselves. That's what Jesus said. Because he didn't have time, he didn't have any patience for the rules and the rule makers and the controllers and the fear mongers. Let's get back to Paul here because Paul in verse 20, he really brings it in there. Verse 20, he says, you have died with Christ and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of the world, such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? 
Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and, and severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. Saying, listen, all these rules that people make up, they look good, they look wise, but they're not gonna help you. In the end, they're not gonna be of a benefit to you. Now, I can hear what some of you are thinking. Well, yeah, that means we can do whatever we want, right? And Sam would say, no, don't get it twisted. Don't get it twisted. It, it's not that what we do doesn't matter. That's not what Paul is saying. That's not what Jesus is saying. That's not what I'm saying. What we matter, what we do does matter. But it's a matter of what our focus is and what's most effective in transforming us into a Christ-like human being. This is gonna sound a little strange, but our job as Christians is not to obey Christ. Our job as Christians is to live in Christ. To be so enmeshed, so merged with Jesus that his thoughts and our thoughts become one and the same. This, this phrase, in Christ, is Paul's favorite way of describing what it means to be a Christian. He uses it all over the place. He uses it in Romans. He uses it in Ephesians. He uses it all over the place. He wants us to be in Christ. Paul never says, do what Christ says alone. He never says that by itself. He says, listen, I want you to be in Christ. If you remember one thing that I say this morning, this is what I want you to remember. Obedience flows from intimacy. Obedience flows from intimacy. Our obedience, our behavior, our, the change in our behavior to become like Christ, to act the way Christ wants us to act, happens as we become more intimate with Christ. The closer we get to him, the more our behavior changes. It changes because he changes us, not because we have become more disciplined in our own behavior. If you grew up in church, I'm sure you knew the person in church who knew all the rules and obeyed all the rules, but they were the meanest, nastiest, most unchristlike person you ever met. Hello? Because the rules don't change you, Jesus changes you. And so many people get caught up in following the rules that the rules become the point. And the rules are not the point. Jesus is the point. Jesus is the goal. And if we draw close to him, if we focus on being intimate with him and knowing him and allowing him to just fill our lives with his presence, then folks, our behavior will change. Rules have a purpose, but they're not the purpose. They're not the thing. They're part of it, but they're not the thing. I'll give you an analogy. I went to school, I went to college and studied music. Took all those classes in music theory. Music theory is all about rules. It's all about rules. 
These chords come after that, this chord comes after that chord, this note comes after that note, don't use this, and there's these rules, and there's that rules, and there's all these rules. And I learned all those rules. I don't really think about them anymore. They influence everything I do. As I'm playing the guitar, the notes that I play are influenced by those rules because those rules, there's a reason for them because these notes actually work together well. But I'm not standing up here going, what rules should I use to apply this to this song? Because the rules have a purpose, but if the rules become the focus, they lose all benefit. If I just stood up here and thought about all the rules, it would sound terrible. Let me give you another analogy. This one may, might uh, click a little bit better. So, do you know the guy in your neighborhood who has that perfect lawn? I mean, literally, he has like, like, like the checkerboard going, you know, it's a perfect, perfectly perpendicular checkerboard, and then the next week you come by, and he's got that great diamond-shaped pattern, and all the lines are like perfectly straight and everything. It's like he got a protractor out, and he's like, oh, yeah, about 38.5 degrees ought to do it, yeah, just like that. You know the guy I'm talking about? Yeah, I'm that guy. I'm that guy. And the, and the funny thing is, is, I hate doing yard work. I literally hate doing yard work. But if I gotta do it, man, that lawn is gonna look right. Those lines are gonna be straight. I remember one time I was sick. I think I was sick. And Lori, Lori decided, I'm gonna mow for Bob. I'm gonna, because it's really long and he's not feeling well, so I'm gonna mow for Bob. And so she gets out there and she starts a lawnmower and she mows. And I look out there and it looks like Stevie Wonder mowed my lawn. I just mowed to say I love you. I'm sorry. I, I love you, babe, but don't ever mow. <laughs> but I grew up mowing lawns. I, I was my, it was my chore at the house, you know, when I was growing up as a kid and I, I mowed lawns for other people. And, and I learned very early on because we had a big lawn. I lived out in the country, lived out in Wald Lake when Wald Lake was still like the sticks. And of course, we didn't have any sidewalks or fences to figure out how, what was straight. You know, you just had a bunch of grass. And so I figured out that the way to mow a straight line is to pick a point at the other end of the yard and just walk straight at it. Don't look at your feet. Don't worry about whether or not you're, the, the wheels are getting off kilter or whatever. You just pick a point on the other end of the yard and you just go right for it. And once you get over there, you'll turn around and you'll see that that's a perfectly straight line. But if you sit there and you watch them and you mow like this and go, oh, oh, I'm getting off. Oh, I'm getting, oh, oh. You'll get to the other end and you'll, you'll have a snake. The same thing is true with our life with Christ. If we're worried about every single step we take, if we're worried about every single rule, making sure we step right in the right spot, then we can get to the other end and find out we're nowhere near Jesus at all. But if we make sure that our focus is constantly on Jesus, 
And our goal is to constantly get as close to him as possible. The steps will take care of themselves. It doesn't mean where we step doesn't matter. I'm, it, but, but the thing is, is if I'm pointed over there, I'm not gonna step over here. It's not gonna happen. Because my focus is not there. You're gonna go wherever you're focused. You know, that was one of the first things they taught you. You know, in, uh, oh, good grief. Here I go. I, I, I'm gonna skip that analogy. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, this is driver's training is a perfect one. I was, I was going to go someplace else and I'm going to go there. But driver's training, it's a perfect thing. Is that you're going to go where you look. If you look that way, you're going to drive that way. You know, I actually had a kid hit me when he was on driver's training. He was 16 years old and he was driving at night in a rainstorm. And he started, he saw my headlights coming toward him because he was looking at my headlights instead of looking at the road. He drifted right into me. Because you go where you look. The same thing is true with us. If we focus on Jesus, the steps will take care of themselves. But if we focus on all the rules, we could very easily miss the point altogether. Now maybe you're here this morning and you've been burned by the, the rule makers and the judges and all those people that are constantly telling you what, what you're doing wrong, how you're not following Jesus correctly. You're not following all the rules, right? If that's you this morning, relax. Don't let anyone condemn you. Keep your focus on Jesus. He's the goal. He's the focus. Now, if you're here and maybe you've been a bit of a rule maker, maybe you've been a bit of a, a judge, telling other people what they're doing wrong? I'll just tell you this. Your path to Christ may look very different from theirs, but that doesn't mean theirs is wrong. What you, what you, where you're headed and where they're headed is the same place. And I've made this illustration before. If Jesus is in the middle of the stage here, I'm standing here, Ken's standing there, the direction that we've got to head to get to Jesus is two totally different directions but the goal is the same. My life may be very different than your life, but if our goal is the same, we're gonna get there. And if you're here this morning and, and you've been trying to follow the rules and you've been frustrated because you never seem to get it right, relax, relax. I'm not telling you to forget about the rules, but Maybe focus more on Jesus himself. Focus on Jesus more than you do the rules. Just focus on getting close to him, being more intimate with him, getting to know him. And I'm pretty sure you'll see that transformation starting to happen and the rules will start to take care of themselves. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the gift of your son, for the forgiveness that we find in him for all the wrongs that we have done and for all the wrong steps that we've taken. And I pray that you'd help us to find our hope and our direction in him.
to not be distracted by those who try to divide us with rules and with fear and with manipulation, but to keep our focus on you, on Jesus, and allow him to transform us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Central Church Podcast. We hope this has encouraged you, inspired you, and you experience life change. If you are unable to attend our Sunday gatherings but still want to support this faith community, visit our giving page at centralchurch.cc. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe.